0: It is so good to be here with you today. I bring you greetings from St. Joan of Arc Episcopal Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Um, you may not have heard of Pflugerville, uh, but it's a little town outside of the city of Austin, the ca- state capital. And uh, we share uh, the uh, the Saint patron saint of a, a martyr, fellow martyr Stephen and Joan of Arc um, in that way, and we share many other things too in Jesus Christ. And I am just really thankful to be here with you today. Uh, the last time I was in Alabama for any length of time was back in 19 <laughs> when I was a young marine private first class and I drove my unair conditioned Ford Tempo down from Pennsylvania to Fort McClellan for the summer where I went to the um, <clears throat> chemical defense school there. Uh, it's since moved, I think. But uh, I spent a summer there wearing a mop suit, which is a chemical, you know, protective garment and the mask and all that stuff. Uh, little did I know that face masks would come back um, many years <laughs> later, and it was a hot summer there. About 10 years after that, uh, I found myself in another pretty hot place, Baghdad, Iraq, with the U.S. Army. I became an Army chaplain and spent a year there in Baghdad with a unit of combat engineers and did my best to help uh, us survive that traumatic experience. And some of us did, but barely. When I came home from that experience, everything around me had changed. I felt like I was normal, I was the same, but everybody else was acting so different, so weirdly. I didn't seem to fit in anymore the way I used to when I tried to pick up with old stuff and old relationships and old friends and my old life. It seemed almost inaccessible to me anymore. I thought that they had changed, but it was really I who had changed. The trauma of war and the trials of homecoming had changed the lens through which I saw the world forever. Trauma is a Greek word for wound. It's a word used in the New Testament And that's what it means, a wound, a physical wound of the flesh or a metaphorical soul wound, a wound of the spirit, a wound of the mind, an invisible wound. It can mean both things, and we use it that way today in modern English. What I was experiencing in that coming home from war was nothing new. Uh, From the era of Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey and the Old Testament and other ancient documents, we see the same scenario playing itself out. Traumatized people see the world differently after this experience. And so, as I tried to figure out how I was supposed to live the rest of my life, I realized that I brought this lens, this post-traumatic lens to everything I did, even to holy scripture. And when I read scripture today, I read it through this post-traumatic lens. Also, realizing that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were books written by severely traumatized people for a traumatized church who were reeling and reflecting on the torturous death and betrayal of their leader and friend, Jesus of Nazareth. In spite of his resurrection, they still remembered what they saw and what they felt on that Friday afternoon. Jesus introduces himself with his five wounds, very visible. And he also introduces himself with his invisible wounds as well. I don't think you can be crucified and not have some of those. The post-traumatic Jesus is the only Jesus Christianity has ever known. From Thomas, who wanted to touch Jesus' wounds, to the Moravians, who describe their church services as being inside the wound of Jesus. The traumatized, wounded Jesus brings healing and hope to people who have been through life's experiences, to people like us here today. And while more sanitized versions of Jesus are presented all throughout Christian history, it is this post-traumatic Jesus who has endured with his main symbol of the cross, where he was crucified. And so I invite you to take a journey with me this morning to look at our gospel text through this post-traumatic lens and hopefully you can do that with the rest of Scripture too after this. Try to do that as I've tried to do that in my post-traumatic journey myself. And I want you to know that as you take this journey you are taking this journey with Jesus himself. He is the one inviting you into it. Our text today is about a dinner party, not exactly um, what you might expect as um, talking about the crucifixion or anything. It seems pretty far away, pretty remote from that seminal experience in the life of Jesus. And yet, Jesus is a guest at this dinner party, and he notices that everybody wants the good seats. Now, if you've been to the kind of dinner party Jesus is describing, it's different than church. In church, the best seats are back there, the, the, you know, you brave people up front. I really admire you for doing this. You know, I'm looking right at you up here. I have pretty bad eyesight, so I I can't see most of you out there today. I'm a church planter, and uh, I have worshipped with my little congregation in very small spaces, so this is vast and expansive. I'm... I'm a little overwhelmed by it, to be honest with you. But the good seats are in the back of a church. At the the dinner party, these banquets, they are up front where you get a place of honor and people know who you are and who you're sitting with. Yesterday at the luncheon, we had a good time talking a little bit at the lunch table about a... Uh, invitation to the Army-Navy game that somebody got and they couldn't get tickets so they called and somehow an admiral invited them into the box seats, you know, up there in the stadium and they got to see the Army-Navy game with a bunch of admirals which sounds kinda scary to me as a <laughs> private in the Marines but they had a good time because getting those good seats is something we really want. We, we like to be seen there. It's a great experience and the ultimate privilege of course is a good parking space reserved just for you right near the door. And that's all this is at this point. Jesus knows this is this, and then he tells a parable. Jesus' parables always are pointing to some deeper reality about God that he's trying to tell them about, some message about God that is sort of hidden in the parable somewhere. And it's more than just an Emily Post advice column, etiquette column, Dear Abby or something like that. When you go to a banquet, banquet, don't sit at the high table because then they'll make you sit down at the bottom. And just go to the the lowest table. Then they say, come on up. Like walking on an airplane, don't go to the first class section and sit down. You don't want to be escorted back to the lavatories. (laughs) This is more than just that. There's this cryptic message in this. Those that exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted that God is looking at people as they are, not with all the pretensions and symbols of their importance and success. God is looking at real people, wanting to know real people, wanting to know us in that way. Jesus is trying to communicate this to his disciples and to us. This flipping upside down and the way we think of what's important and what isn't Our vision of success, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a hero, a person of privilege or prestige or influence. Jesus flips that all around and he turns from being an advice columnist to a prophet in this way. He says when you have a feast, he says this right to the host, when you have a feast don't invite your friends. I mean what's the point of having a feast if you don't invite your friends? Don't invite your brother. Don't invite your relatives. What are you saying, Jesus? What kind of feast is this? Don't invite your rich neighbors. I mean, come on, we want to use their pool, you know? (laughs) Don't invite anybody you'd want to be seen with. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And this isn't just about charity or soup kitchens or something like that. Although it is, of course it is that the only really way to know that you're loving is to love someone that cannot love you in return in the same way, can't give you something in that transaction. But when he says, invite the poor, I don't need to tell you about the connection between poverty and trauma. Trauma and poverty, adverse childhood experiences and poverty all go together in this world people who have experienced war, and loss, and hardship, and that cycle that seems to perpetuate itself. These are the people you invite. And then the ones who are maimed, the crippled, the lame, through war, through violence, through disease that leaves a person visibly scarred and wounded so that they are now set apart from their community. In one instance in the New Testament, this word lame means someone who's had their foot cut off and can't walk, an amputee. If you live on this planet long enough, stuff will happen to you and to me that will turn our world upside down. It'll flip it on its head. It'll leave you standing and sitting in a pile of ashes. and You'll be wondering what in the world happened to me. Our sense of trust will be gone. There's volatile emotions that ebb and flow and sometimes spill into rage. There's numbness, there's shock, there's horror, there's all these things. And sometimes we join a club that we didn't wanna join. I don't know if you've ever had to join a club that you did not want to join. And you looked in the mirror one day and say, oh, that's me, I'm one of them now. Trauma has this crippling, maiming effect blinding us to so much around us. For me, when I came back from the, the Iraq War and experienced all those changes, I couldn't sit still. I had a restlessness, a hypervigilance. I always had to be on the move. And I didn't feel worthy to go into church anymore. I felt like if, they went, if I went in there, they would see me in that way and in that state. And I would go, I was in station in Washington, D.C., and I'd go to the National Cathedral there and I wouldn't go in. I would stay outside in the garden there. And there in that garden, I met a statue, a a sculpture of the prodigal son being embraced by his father. And I would weep, and I would weep, and that's all I could do. That was the only prayer I could pray in those moments. That's what it feels like sometimes to live in a post-traumatic world, to be a post-traumatic person in this world. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. God is looking for people who show up as they are, with all the wounds of our life. The only guarantee that you're eating with Jesus today is if you invite the people, the people who are like Jesus, who have these experiences that Jesus had while he was here on this planet, The seat that Jesus will sit on, the high seat at the banquet is the seat of this cross. He will hang there between earth and sky, his arms stretched out, pinned down on the cross, immobile, unable to move. He dies a shameful prisoner's death, absorbing in his own body the shame of the world. And this post-traumatic Jesus, who introduces himself with his wounds in his hands, his feet, and his side, and all the invisible wounds of his life, wants to eat with you and me. He wants to feed you in this table, at this table. He wants to sit with you because he's in your club now, and you're in his. He knows what it's like to live on this traumatized planet. He lived in the trauma of poverty when he was here. His feet were pierced, crippling him. They blindfolded him and they struck him and they said, who hit you? And he did nothing to stop it. The post-traumatic Jesus sits with you today. So I invite you to bring your wounds to this table, to bring your wounds to Jesus, to share them with each other, knowing that Jesus shares his wounds with you. The same Jesus that was there at that banquet, and they didn't see who he really was, is here today. And he invites you to this meal. He invites you into this fellowship, this fellowship of the wounded, the traumatized, the poor, the lame, the blind. And it is in that feast that we experience the resurrection of the dead, because that is the reward. That there is always life after death. There is always hope in Jesus Christ not because we ignore what happened to him or what happened to us, but because we know that whatever happened to him will happen to us, happens in little ways and small resurrections that we experience in this life and in the world to come. We have that hope as Christians, the hope that Jesus teaches us from his cross, from his empty tomb, and from the table that he offers to us now. Amen.